Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, love at, at First, first listen. listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network. Available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Volume. Boxing with Chris Mannix is presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. There is no better place to make every moment more than with FanDuel. It's got great odds and markets for the NBA, NHL, college basketball, and so much more. It has got awesome new and existing user promotions. It is unquestionably America's number one sportsbook. It's easy to use. It's safe and secure. You get your winnings fast. Now winnings are delivered in as quick as two hours. It's a fast turnaround. It's fun to combine multiple bets from the same game into a same game parlay. Discover the most popular SGPs each day right when you log in. If you are new, just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started right now. Sign up with promo code BOXING so they know that I sent you. Promo code BOXING so they know Chris Mannix sent you their way. This is Boxing with Chris Mannix. Oh, somebody punch him in the face. Anthony Joshua is a composed and ferocious finisher. Watch this. Andy Ruiz is the heavyweight champion. Hosted by SI's Chris Mannix. That was my moment. Now with interviews, analysis, and everything going on in the world of boxing. When you have talent, you are given another chance. Here's Chris Mannix. All right, we are back. And uh, first order of business is to apologize to all the listeners out there for missing the show last week. I was uh, battling some kind of, I don't know what it was. It wasn't COVID. Took a few tests uh, on that. But it was some kind of stomach virus that caught my throat and I couldn't talk. So I chose to rest my throat on Thursday and Friday in advance of working for DAZN on Saturday. So I made a executive decision on that front that's why the podcast did not post last week but i saw all your tweets and your direct message on instagram your direct message on twitter one of you even texted me i don't know how you got my number i don't didn't recognize who the number was but you were asking where the podcast was but i appreciate the energy that you guys have for this podcast uh, every week so we're gonna have a good one this week errol spence uh who's fighting this weekend he's gonna join me a little bit later on and right now good friend of the program keith idek live from Arlington, Texas, where he'll be attending the Spence versus Ugas fight. What's happening, Keith? 
Chris, how you doing, man? Hey, I, I got to say, I mean, there there probably are some people that would argue that it was good that you couldn't talk last week. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I think there are plenty. De- de- decent amount of those people probably, right? Oh, at least on social media. They live there. <laughs> but I was fine for the broadcast. I recovered in time. Yeah. But I, uh, it was the, the cost of it was not doing this podcast uh, last week, which kept me from an extra half an hour with Sergio, which is a win oh, uh, in and of itself. All right, I want to jump right in, Keith. And I want to start with some of the more serious news of the week. Uh, earlier this week, the U.S. government announced sanctions against members of the Kinahan Transnational mm. Criminal Organization. That's a group that includes Daniel Kinahan, one of the founding members of boxing management company MTK Global. What the sanctions effectively mean, to kind of boil it down, is that no U.S. business can work with Kinahan. The government also issued a $5 million reward for the arrest and conviction of Daniel Kinahan and others associated with what they call a criminal organization. Now, why am I bringing this up on a boxing podcast? Well, because Kinahan is the co-founder of MTK Global, which is a very influential boxing management company. He has a visible relationship with Tyson Fury, the heavyweight champion in the world. He has been linked to ProBellum, the fledgling promotional outfit, which recently held a two-day event in Dubai where Kinahan is reportedly living. Now, MTK has come out and said, Kinahan is no longer involved uh, with their business. Probellum has come out and said that they will no longer have any association with Kinahan. Top ranks Bob Arum has come out and said he intends to unwind uh, and undo any relationships they have with fighters involved with MTK, involved with Daniel Kinahan. So this is why we're addressing it right now, because the tentacles of this um, government investigation reach over into boxing so Keith I want to kind of start there like in your mind and you've and you over at boxing scene Jake Donovan done a great job reporting on this over the last uh, few days uh, what are the ripple effects into boxing like how how significant do you believe these latest developments are for the sport we cover well pretty significant Chris in that before this was kind of something that was festering toward the surface it was kind of understood and widely accepted that uh, someone who uh, obviously has a suspicious past is, is involved in boxing in a very influential way. Um, but when the U.S. government issues a press release that says, listen, we're on these guys' asses, I mean, you know, this, this becomes a whole different deal as it relates to boxing. And, and I spoke to Bob Arum on Tuesday. Um, you know, I, I've gotten some uh, feedback, backlash or whatever. Well, what else is he going to say? This is serious business as it relates to top rank, because top rank has, as you well know, a, a television output deal with ESPN, which is owned by the Disney Corporation. The Disney Corporation is not going to be in business in any way, shape or form with someone who's suspected of murdering people, trafficking heroin, etc. Right. So they have to. I don't think this is a matter of top rank just publicly distance, distancing themselves from Daniel Kinahan because they feel like they have to, they are going to have to, whether they like it or not. They've already, uh, ESPN will now, ESPN Plus had been streaming a lot of MTK global fights uh, from various locales over the last few years. Um, I had been told long before this press release came out that, that once that deal came to an end at the end of this year, that ESPN was not going to allow top rank to continue broadcasting MTK global fights. or sh- They were all streamed, not really broadcasting, but um, because of this entanglement, right? So, uh, so that was going to come to an end anyway, I think, but now because this press release came out, they're now not streaming this fight MTK fight card tomorrow. 
Now, MTK has tried to distance itself from Daniel Kinahan too. But as you mentioned, Chris, he's the co-founder of the company. He's kind of operating in the shadows and everything. But as it relates to Tyson Fury, he's not really operating in the shadows because Tyson Fury has publicly acknowledged him numerous times. And as far as helping him negotiate deals and everything, this is the heavyweight champion of the world or one of them. It's not some, you know, some Irish prospect that's 4-0 or something. This is the heavyweight champion of the world who next week will fight in front of 94,000 people at Wembley Stadium against Dillian White. My question, Chris, is this. Uh, Tyson Fury has what could only be described as a contentious relationship with the British Boxing Board of Control. Does the British Boxing Board of Control want to, I don't know, make a power move next week and say, hey, if you don't publicly distance yourself from Daniel Kinahan, we're not licensing you for this fight. Now, I know that he's he's applied for a license as a U.S. fighter because he now he lives at least part time. And this is true. He lives part time in Henderson, Nevada. Um, so he's applying as a U.S. fighter. That doesn't mean anything if you're affiliated with a, you know, because U.S. citizens or U.S. businesses are not supposed to be affiliated with this person in any way. And he publicly is. So if they want to make an issue out of this, they certainly could. I don't know that they will. Uh, but they could, you know, so at, at top rank doesn't seem, and maybe this is just wishful thinking on their part. They're, they don't think that it's going to become an issue. Um, so we'll see how that unfolds next week in London. I, I wonder too, uh, and everything you said, I agree with. Um, what does ESPN do about this now? I mean, as you said, Tyson Fury isn't, or hasn't, I should say, shied away from the closeness of their relationship. When there was a deal that was constructed for Fury to face Anthony Joshua. Tyson Fury came out and in video thanked in part Daniel Kinahan for the work that he did uh, on that deal. So like, and look, as we record this on Thursday early evening, uh, Tyson Fury has not spoken publicly on that relationship. He had a conference call with some, you know, members of the roundabout media and he wasn't, wasn't asked about that specific uh, topic uh, on that conference call. I'm sure he will be in the coming days. He's set to fight uh, a week from Saturday. But, I mean, do you anticipate or do you think there might be any kind of ripple effects on ESPN? It's like, if Tyson Fury doesn't disavow this guy, I mean, I, I, it's so hard to like, because Aram's out there saying, and you talk to him, like, we did this deal with Frank Warren. Like, this is a deal between Frank Warren, yeah. Tyson Fury, and me. When, you know, you can probably be sure in some way or the other, Kinhan was involved uh, in that in some way, shape, or form the, in that deal. The only thing I would say, Chris, as it relates to this fight in particular, it was a purse bid, so there really wasn't true, any negotiating. True. So, uh, you know, he was getting his percentage. You know, it wound up being a, like a completely lopsided percentage in Tyson Fury's favor, more so than usual. Uh, so there there wasn't much negotiating or any negotiating required, really. He's getting a massive purse. He's got, what is it, $32 million and some odd dollars. Um Dillian White, what a what a what a great deal for him. He gets eight million dollars to fight and refuses to promote it. What a <laughs> what a world, right? Um, but be that as it may, I you know I don't know what's going to happen here with Fury. But if I were him, now he's in a precarious position because I don't know the extent of his dealings with Daniel Kinahan. He considers him a friend or whatever. I don't look. People people have bad judgment in, in many ways. I don't know what his relationship is with Kinahan. Maybe it's just not as easy as we might think to distance himself from Daniel Kinahan. If Daniel Kinahan, whatever he's really doing here, um, if he cares about Tyson Fury at all, he would. if he really cares about him, he would just say, hey, look, I, I get it. 
I got to step away from this. And, you know, and that would be the end of it with him and Josh Taylor and several other prominent fighters mm-hmm. that he advises. But, uh, but this is uh, Chris, this is, they, they've, they've um, offered a $5 million reward. That's a whopper of, right. of a, of a fee right there. A whopper of a prize. The, I, I don't remember exactly what it was, but the New York city police department offered a much, 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 much lower reward for someone who shot 29 people in the subway the other day. Mm-hmm. So, so this is, this is serious business here as it relates to the Kinahan operation. Um, you know, like you said, this was a, this was a, uh, a huge story that sent ripple effects throughout the industry this week. Yeah. And I'm wondering, and there's only so much information we have right now, but you know, are there going to be ripple effects for Probellum? Now, Probellum was very strong in its statement where they said, we're not going to have anything to do with Daniel Kinahan, but they did just do a show in Dubai where Daniel Kinahan is reportedly living. Um, A lot of MTK fighters are, or a number of MTK fighters are on the Probellum stable. You've got U.S.-based promoters involved with Probellum. Richard Schaefer is at the top of it. Lou DiBella just recently aligned uh, about a dozen or so of his fighters uh, with Probellum. Um, that's something I think that very least bears watching to see what happens in the next few weeks as far as Probellum's... Inv- mm. uh, if any, whatever comes out about Probellum's involvement in the past with, with Daniel Kinahan. Yeah, I agree, Chris. I mean, it's it, like you said, it bears watching. But look, if... As journalists, we obviously have to be careful about yeah. what we say and what we write because I don't have any proof that he's in. I'm, I'm not saying that he's not. I'm just saying I don't know definitively that he is. So, yeah. you know, oftentimes where there's smoke, there's fire, of course. But look, I mean, they came out with a strong statement yesterday. They said what they said. You know, we'll so something how, I've we'll heard, something I've heard from, um, you know, people in boxing the last couple of days, like, well, you know, like boxing world of sports where you're involved with bad people all the time. This is mm. the first I've Keith, this is the first I've seen where a person's so bad that they have a $5 million bounty on them to get yeah, the, the, the one thing I would say, well, the one thing I would say, Chris, is if you and I were a boxing scribe, so to speak in ni- in the 1940s and we were wearing fedoras and all this weird mm-hmm. stuff, uh, it would have been a very different sport to cover because there was a lot of underworld influence in boxing then. So there were a lot of bad people, mur- murderers and, you know, <laughs> you know, pretty terrible people involved in boxing uh, behind the scenes and sometimes in the forefront. Um, you wouldn't think that would exist in 2022, but here we are. All right, Keith, let's move on to some actual boxing. And uh, let's start last weekend uh, in Texas, where I was. Ryan Garcia, he makes his return from a 15-month layoff. Ryan, one of the most popular fighters in boxing. He comes back, he's got a new trainer with Joe Goosen. Um he takes on uh, Emmanuel Tego in a fight that wasn't the most aesthetically pleasing fight. Tego really came to survive more than anything else uh, and you know, didn't bring much to the table offensively. Ryan, I thought his timing looked a little bit off, uh, looked a little bit sluggish. Yeah. Maybe he's adjusting to some new things uh, with Joe Goosen. Give me your kind of impressions of what you saw from Ryan Garcia. Yeah, you know, he had been off for 15 months, Chris, and, and he's with a new trainer. And they always say the old adage in boxing is your first fight with a new trainer you're not going to show what you're capable of with that trainer until the second fight, the third fight, the fourth fight. I mean, so I wasn't all that surprised that he wasn't, um, I, I was surprised that he did not knock Emmanuel Tego out. I did expect that to happen. And it looked yeah. in the second round anyway, that it was going to happen. I think later, maybe it was the 10th round that he heard him again. Um, you know, so it looked like he would get him out of there at some point, but as you said, Tego did a good job trying to survive. 
for him getting through 12 rounds was a victory of sorts, right? I mean, I'll say this him. though, Keith, Keith, he talked so much shit during fight week. Like, yeah, he but was fi- talking I, I, a lot but, of but, shit. But Chris, Chris you, you and I have I been know, down this road many times. Guys say all kinds of crazy things during fight weeks, and they're trying to hype the fight. I get it. I mean, I'm it not was it was funny it. though, Keith. Like sitting in the fighter meeting with Tego, where he's like, "Ryan doesn't have real power." And you look to his right, and there's like Peter Kahn, the his manager, kind of going like shaking his head. Then you see uh, <laughs> his trainer next to him, kind of shaking his head, doing the same thing. Like everybody knew yeah. Ryan had real power, and I think in that first round, once Tego got a taste of it, uh, mm-hmm. I think that changed everything in his mind. Yeah, and and. Look, he, he's a much shorter guy, uh, you know, maybe maybe could fight at junior lightweight if he, you know, if he squeezed down a little bit. Um, but again, he, he was just the guy who Garcia had to get back into the ring with, shake off some of that ring rust and start getting toward, quote unquote, real fights, you know. So, you know, he, he won. Getting rounds in was not necessarily a bad thing for him. He had been out of the ring so long. I, I don't think that was a bad thing. So, um, you know, he gets back into camp with Joe. And they can see what they can do together in the second fight. Um, now, I know what I want that second fight to be, and I know that that's not going to happen necessarily because they're going to try to keep him busier than fighting twice or three times a year. Um, but but I hope we're not in a situation where he's fighting every two or three months against fighters on Emmanuel Tago's level, uh, because I don't think that's particularly helpful for him. Uh, and I also don't think that. Um, you know, he's one of Golden Boy's few assets that they have left on their roster. And I think if they, you know, they really want to start maximizing his uh, earning potential, you're going to have to fight somebody. So when you say, you know, who you'd like to see him fight next, you're talking about Tank Davis, I assume. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I wrote a column last week that, yeah. that I, you know, if Tank wins against Roly Romero and he's heavily favored to win, if Ryan Garcia beats Emmanuel Tago again, he was heavily favored to win. The fight was much closer to happening last year than I know you're well aware of this, but mm-hmm. then a lot of people realize they were, they were pretty far to, you know, they negotiated. Uh, they were, they both wanted the fight. Both sides seemingly wanted the fight. Then the Pacquiao thing came up. Garcia's people got a little distracted with that. And I get it. I mean, he's, you know, if you think there's real potential to at that point, fight Manny Pacquiao and wherever it was going to happen. And there's a lot of money. There was a big, pot of gold at the end of that rainbow i don't blame them for chasing it i just didn't think it was real from the beginning because chris how many times have we gone down this road with you know <laughs> in private investors in the it, now it's happened a few times you know eddie hearn brought you know brought heavyweight title fight to saudi arabia and all that but at most times uh those things don't materialize and i've kind of figured that would be the case with uh with pacquiao and garcia and that did turn out to be the case and by the time they knew that the pacquiao fight wasn't real meaning garcia's people well, Tank had moved on to moving up to 140 pounds and he signed a contract to fight Mario Barrios. So the fight just kind of went away. Uh, and then and then obviously Ryan was having his uh, his issues outside of the ring that he had to deal with. And, and Tank went and fought Well, he wound up fighting Isak Cruz. He was trying to fight Roly Romero, who is, for whatever it's worth, the uh, mandatory challenger for his secondary WBA title. Yeah, I, I walked away from that fight with Garcia thinking I'd like to see him in one more against a fighter that's not Tank Davis, not a nobody. Like, JoJo Diaz was ringside uh, for that fight. I wouldn't mind seeing Garcia against JoJo Diaz. In a way, not to dismiss JoJo's chances of winning, but JoJo's kind of, he, he emulates kind of the physical stature of a Gervonta Davis. Kind of, they're about the same yeah. size. And JoJo's tough. You know, he's, he's hard-headed, I, I, and he'll take a punch. 
Um, I see where you're coming from with that, Chris, but I would not do that if I were them because I think that's too risky. If mm-hmm. look, Jojo Diaz is no stay busy fight, right? No. I mean, yeah, you know, he obviously lost to Devin Haney and he, he's probably better suited as a junior lightweight than he is at lightweight, but Jojo Diaz can fight. And I, I wouldn't, if I were them and the, and the end game was to get to Javante Davis sometime later this year, I would not put him in the ring with Jojo Diaz, but that's fair. That's fair. I'm not saying, I'm not saying that they won't because they have Jojo Diaz. It's an easier fight to make. You know, Jojo's looking for coming off the loss to Haney. Jojo's looking for a real fight and a, and a decent payday. So I'm not saying that it won't happen. I'm just saying from a matchmaking standpoint, I'm not, I'm not sure that that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, no, I, I can see that. Jojo's dangerous. Um, mm-hmm. He's on that kind of second tier of guys at 135 and uh, very much capable of winning, especially since he's really hard to knock out. Like He's very yeah. hard-headed and yeah. he's going to come through a lot of your power. Uh, Jojo's trying to come back, too. He's trying to come back in the summertime against John O'Carroll in a fight. Uh, we'll see if that happens. But, yeah, I, I, either way, I'd like to see Ryan get back maybe in, like, July. Like, they seem to be ready to turn him around quickly. If you get him back in July and he comes through that fight unscathed, you know, maybe you can get into the fall and make a fight with Tank Davis. On that note, like, you know, we see what's happening with Tank Davis, at least from a social media level, where Tank mm. keeps tweeting stuff and then deleting them. Not like he doesn't really understand their screenshots are a thing. And that these things are immortalized uh, forever. I mean, how do, do you look at the fight between Tank and Ryan to being makeable at this point? I know that they had these discussions with what's going on with Tank right now. Does that make it more makeable, less makeable? How, how do you see negotiations for a fight like that potentially going. Well, one thing I would say as it relates to tank Davis tweeting these things, he knows what he's doing. He's oh, of course tweet, he he's tweet. He's tweeting these things and then he's getting some heat from, from the appropriate people to take it down and he's acquiescing and taking it down. But he's after getting everybody screenshot it. After right. He's getting <laughs> his message out there. The guy, he's not a dumb kid. Um, he knows what he's doing as it relates to that. I found, uh, when he first started tweeting about Floyd and, and the possibility, not, not the possibility, the, the distinct uh, possibility that, that he would leave Mayweather promotions after this fight. I said, well, that's interesting, but I found it more interesting that he's someone asked him if they were doing an all access for this Rolly Romero fight, which they are, by the way, they do it for mm-hmm. all their pay-per-view fights. I don't know why the person was asking him that seven weeks out from the fight, but he was. And tank said, I don't know what the, he said something like I'm paraphrasing. I don't know what they're doing, but I'll be out of all of their hair. Uh, before too long. Now, was he talking about Mayweather, Al Heyman, Showtime? That's all. Of, that's who I would consider all of them. Uh, but as it as it relates to your question, though, Chris, um, if he leaves Mayweather Promotions, which it certainly seems like he is going to do after this Rolly Romero fight, he could stay with Al Heyman and still be affiliated with PBC and still fight on Showtime pay per view or even if they wanted to put him in a showcase fight on, on Showtime, the network itself, he could still do that. Um, but he may be trying to give himself the flexibility to make these fights that he wants and let who whomever is willing to come in with the most money bid for those fights. That could happen. I mean, DAZN obviously has tightened the purse strings and, uh, you know, and has lost a couple of fighters or fights because of that. But maybe they say, hey, we can make Gervonta Davis and Ryan Garcia. We'll pay whatever it takes to make that fight. Especially, uh, Keith, especially, like, Eddie Hearn right now has a U.S. roster that is, what, zero? Is I don't know what Matchroom Boxing USA is at the moment. Devin Haney is gone. Demetrius Andrade is gone. A handful of guys sprinkled there. The point is, you would think he's got to have some budget for something. And, you know, everybody's kind of focused on, will Golden Boy sign 
Javante. Well, Eddie could sign him, and you could still make mm-hmm. the Ryan Garcia fight. In fact, it might be just as easy to make the fight if if that was the case. Right. If Eddie is involved and DAZN is ultimately involved, I, I think it's whatever wherever Javante goes. I think it's smart to open up his options to to mm-hmm. keep that box as open as wide as it can be because I'm sure he's making good money and has for the last few years, but he keeps fighting nobody. He keeps fighting guys you're not interested in. And after Raleigh Romero, I don't know what the next option is on on that proverbial side of the street. I don't know who the attractive fight is for him there. Whereas if it's, you know, wherever it is, 135, 140, you've got options with with uh, other promoters and other people being involved. So Gervonta is going to be 28 years old this year. Now's the time. Like he has got to find his way into a big fight. And I think that's the way he's looking at it too, Chris. I think he's grown frustrated. He is making very good money. And I, and I would disagree slightly in the, and I know what you mean that people are not interested in the fights, but he has become the type of fighter where his fights are events yeah. uh, among his fans. The people who love Javante Davis, they don't really care whether he's fighting Ricardo Nunez or Isak Cruz or Roley. The Romero fight's going to get a lot of, interest because Roley Romero talks a lot of smack and you know they have this rivalry and all that uh, but you know some of the other guys that he has fought um, they don't really care they're showing up regardless because they want to see Tank Davis knock someone out and it's a big mm-hmm. event I've been at a lot of these fights the the crowds are are huge and so you gotta you have to give them credit for kind of uh, you know cultivating this fan base with him and making him at least happy with the amount of money he's been making in these fights but Javante Davis is a fighter at heart. He comes from the worst part of Baltimore. Uh, he certainly didn't have it easy growing up with his family dynamic. Um, you know, is, is a testament to his fortitude that he's made it to this point. And there have been some missteps along the way, but he's gotten in some trouble and everything. But um, but he's he's maturing, I, I think. I mean, he's stayed out of trouble for you know some semblance of time here at least, but. Um, but I think because he's a fighter at heart and he's got that dog in him, he hates hearing from you, from me, from trolls on Twitter, whomever. He hates hearing that Gervonta Davis won't fight Devin Haney. Gervonta Davis won't fight Ryan Garcia. Gervonta Davis won't fight Tiafimo Lopez. He won't fight Lomachenko. He does, doesn't want the quote-unquote smoke. And he, he hates hearing that. And he knows that he's going to be 28 years old soon. And I think the way it's been explained to me is he has grown very frustrated with not being allowed to take the types of fights that he now wants or maybe wanted all along. Because again, most of these fighters, whether it's Javante Davis or Devin Haney or Jojo Diaz, you know, pick a guy. Most of them want tough fights because they're fighters. I mean, some of them maybe to a lesser degree, but most of them, well, they're not, af- I hate when people like say people are, af- people who fight for a living are not afraid. No, I mean, no they, fighters um, afraid. some might be more reserved from a matchmaking standpoint and less willing to take risks at certain times than others. That's certainly true, but calling guys afraid who walk up those steps for a living and quite literally risk their lives is kind of st- not kind of, it's stupid. It is, you know? So the only guy I've ever seen afraid was that guy that walked out of the ring when F.A. Ajagba. Well, he he was he was afraid he was afraid, he was, he was <laughs> and not and not t- and not terribly bright either because you're not going to get paid that way. So I don't know why, what what he was thinking exactly, but yeah, just just falling down like take yeah. one shot. And what was his name? Down. Curtis something. Oh, God, I, forgot I forgot his name. But I, yeah. I just struck that struck me as the one guy because I agree with you 100. Fighters aren't afraid. Like they yeah. sometimes they get a little bit 
uh, they they wind up with these warped perceptions of reality um, right and get talked yeah. into stuff but yeah and, no, and it's and, and ultimately it's a business you know you want to be paid appropriately Correct. and I, I get all that but you know but great opportunity now for, like romero i think will be a big event because you're right romero will talk there's bad blood uh, more likely than not he'll score a spectacular knockout in that fight and then you can go on before the end of the year Take a fight with Ryan Garcia, which is a huge event in either Southern California or Las Vegas, wherever you can make the most money. And who knows? After that, if you win that fight, you go into next year, maybe you can fight for the undisputed title at 135. Like, the options are there. They're all on the table for Javante Davis. He has to just go and uh, reach for it. All right, I want to ask you about another fight from this past Saturday. Gennady Golovkin, he makes his return from a long layoff himself. He gets a big win, knocks out Ryota Murata. Some... Shaky moments there for Golovkin. Took some shots to the body that uh, reminded us that he's a little more vulnerable there than he has been before. But he gets the win. He's unified at 160. Just the second fighter over the age of 40 to become a unified champion, which is impressive in and of itself, uh, along with Bernard Hopkins. What did you think of Gennady's performance? And more specifically, what is that? what did his performance tell you about a potential fight with Canelo? Well, uh, he... Oftentimes, even in fights against lesser opponents over the course of the years, Gennady Golovkin has been hit to the head. Uh, not not as much as he did against Murata, but he's been hit to the head before, and he's always shown a granite chin. So even when he was taking some of those flush punches from Murata, who's a pretty solid puncher, I wasn't worried about him going down or getting knocked out from the, from the head shots. I, the body shots were what seemed to be affecting him. You know, made him retreat a couple of times. And he was really getting hit a lot in the first four and a half rounds or so of that fight. And uh, I, at the time, I was in Las Vegas, but I was covering the fight in my hotel room off of the computer. And I was like, man, no, this you, is you were up early. So, yeah, it was not pleasant. Uh, <laughs> that much. I went to a wedding the night, be- the night before in Las Vegas and uh, came home and slept for three hours, not to bore people Oof. with my with my agenda there. But uh, anyway, so but I did stay up and watch all you know the two undercard fights in that fight. And I, as, as it was unfolding, I said, man, this is turning into a little bit more difficult of a fight than we expected. I expected a little bit of rust from Golovkin because he hadn't fought in 15 months and he is 40, you know, he turned 40 the day before the fight. So you're kind of expecting him to be, you know, to take a little more time than usual to get into a rhythm. Um, not four and a half rounds, but once he started touching Murata in ways that he was not used to being touched, then the, the complexion of the fight changed and, and the power is always the last thing to go. And Gennady Golovkin's is a, uh, is a devastating puncher, uh, maybe more a volume puncher than, than a one punch knockout guy, but he's got very heavy hands. He always has had those. Uh, and, and I, you know, look, he came back from some adversity, uh, won the fight by knockout. I, I like a lot of people, I don't like the prospects of, of how he will fare in a third fight against Canelo Alvarez. I just think at this point in his career, you know, Canelo won the rematch. I wouldn't say he overwhelmed him or anything, but I thought he won. I didn't think there was any controversy there as opposed to the first fight, which was absurd that it resulted in a draw, I thought. But I thought he convincingly won the second fight, and I think he'll win the third fight even more convincingly. And if there was ever a, a fight where I, I would say that even a fighter with a granite chin is at risk of being stopped, I would say that's it probably. Um, it's a huge payday for Gennady Golovkin, but I just think that Canelo Alvarez, while he's got a lot of fights, you know, he's got 60 plus fights of his own and he's been boxing since he was, you know, as a pro since he was 15 years old or whatever. Um, he's still only 31 years old, he's much younger than Golovkin mm-hmm. seems to be in the, in the, you know, the heart of his prime right now, he's fighting at an elite level. 
you know, arguably the best pound for pound fighter in the world. And uh, I don't, man, I, I don't see a, a path to victory for Gennady Golovkin in that third fight, unfortunately for him. Yeah, the chin is still there. The offensive firepower is still there. The body is not. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we saw in that war he fought against Derevinchenko a couple of years ago, uh, Golovkin got touched the body and he got hurt to the body. And in the third round of that fight against Murata, he took a big shot to the body that backed him up, made him take a deep breath, made him yeah. regroup. You know, Murata, Keith, kind of took a page out of the Golovkin playbook. He took the fight straight to Golovkin in, mm-hmm. in ways that guys weren't doing before Canelo did that in the second fight. He just went at him, took the fight to him, and threw everything he had. He was just limited. He didn't have enough uh, to enough firepower to beat right. Gennady Golovkin. But he he had the right game plan. Uh, going up against him, going up against Canelo. Like, I can see Golovkin absorbing Canelo's best headshot, but Canelo might be the best body puncher in all of boxing. He right. is fast, he is strong, and he's going to put a big bullseye on that midsection and hit Golovkin with some shots that I think are going to really hurt him. And as tough as Golovkin is, as unknockoutable as I think he is to the head, you can get stopped to the body. Golovkin should know. He stopped plenty of guys to the body during his run uh, up the ranks uh, at middleweight. I like to think to myself, maybe eight more pounds for Golovkin after making 160 forever might be Mm -hmm. beneficial to him at this stage of his career. Canelo coming down in weight after, you know, whatever happens against Dimitri Bivol, maybe that takes something out of him. Uh, So I'm searching maybe for paths to victory, but when I look at the shots Golovkin's taken to the body and his response to him, you know, Sergio Mora, he, he says it right. He says the body never forgets. And... You know, when you get hit that much to the body and you go up against a big body puncher, uh, something's going to give there. And it's probably going to be you. Yeah, that's a good point, Chris. I mean, he is a vicious body puncher and and he has not taken body shots well. The one thing that you mentioned that I thought was interesting because it was in the back of my mind, um, even though the Derevianchenko fight was a very long time ago now, it was two and a half years ago, he hadn't been in a real fight since then. He had only fought Camille Zarameta who quite frankly didn't belong in the ring with even a 38-year-old Gennady Golovkin when they fought, uh, that, was, that wasn't anything uh, resembling a, a tough test for Gennady Golovkin. So since the Derevianchenko fight, which was an absolute, uh, I mean, Jesus, I mean, that was one of, the, one of the best fights that I've seen uh, from ringside for sure, I thought, and I think you might have even thought so too, there was the fight yeah. of the year in 2019. Um, you, you just didn't know how he was going to fare against a real fighter un, until last sa- uh, Saturday, right? And, 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 and give credit to Murata, as you mentioned, Chris. Murata came to fight. He said, look, I'm not going to sit back and be careful against – I'm here in front of my, my countrymen who have shown me nothing but love over the course of my career. I'm going to go out on my shield and go for broke here. And he did, and he, and he was successful for half of the fight, and then the other half of the fight he wasn't. Uh, but at least he can, you know, take pride in knowing that he really tried to bring the fight to one of the biggest punchers of this generation. All right, let's talk about the fight you're at this weekend. Errol Spence against Jordanis Ugas, three pieces of the 147-pound title on the line. Errol Spence returning from yet another serious injury. A couple of years ago, it was a car crash that Spence was uh, coming back from. He beat Danny Garcia in that fight, his next fight out. He was going right back into another big fight against Ugas after having a serious eye injury that forced him to withdraw from a scheduled fight against Manny Pacquiao uh, last summer. Um, let me ask the question here, Keith. Like, what's what's the unknown for you in this fight? We've seen Spence come back from 
the car crash, which was as serious an accident as you can get in physically. He was beat up. His face was beat up after that. Now you've got the eye injury. What are kind of the unknowns for you in this fight? Well, the unknown, the obvious unknown for all of us is how is he going to respond from retina surgery to his left eye, right? Now, I just spoke to Derek James right after the press conference. I had him off to the side of the stage there. And, and Derek is, was very confident in that this eye, his eye did not affect him in any way, shape, or form in training camp. Now, if it did, he's obviously not going to tell us. But, <laughs> but Derek James said the same thing when he, when he prepared for Danny Garcia. He said, look, you know, he's a little rusty and all that. And, you know, it's his first training camp since the accident. He said, but I don't see any slippage in him. I think he's going to be fine. And he went out there and he beat Danny Garcia pretty easily. Now, they both kind of admitted today, Errol Spence during the press conference and, and Derek James after the press conference, that, you know, his body was a little sore in training camp for that first fight. Even though the fight was 13 and a half months after the accident, he had been through some serious trauma from a physical standpoint and going through a rigorous training camp. He didn't feel at his peak physically, whereas now uh, he went through another training camp for the Pacquiao fight because he pulled out of the fight only 11 days in advance. Now he feels physically closer back to what he was before the accident. Um, and he said today that he feels like he's in even because of some of the things that he's learned about managing his body and all that. He feels like he's an even better fighter than the one that beat Sean Porter. And what was also one of the fights of the year in 2019 was a dog fight for sure. Um, so he says he's going to be better than, than the guy who fought Sean Porter. And well, he better be because the guy he's fighting, a lot of people think beat Sean Porter. And that was, and that wasn't the Sean Porter that got knocked out by Terrence Crawford. And I, I don't think he was a diminished version of Sean Porter all that much when he fought Crawford, but he was more in his physical prime and he was a world champion when he fought your Dennis Ugas. A lot of people think Ugas won the fight. Spence and his people are in no way underestimating Ugas. I mean, anyone who would do that at this point coming off the win over Pacquiao and the fact that he's, you could argue undefeated as a welterweight since 2016, because his only loss is to Sean Porter. Um, they know they're in for a real fight, but Errol Spence, uh, if he's anything resembling what he was before, and there's no reason to believe that he's not, um, he should beat your Dennis Ugas. And then maybe who knows, maybe we'll get the fight we've wanted for the last three years. Right. Yeah. Uh, uh look, I, I like Spence in this fight too, for a lot of the reasons that you said from, from talking to him and from talking to people around him the last couple of months, um, you know, they, they talk about how he, you know, before after the car accident, there were certain things he couldn't do physically. Like, after the eye surgery, he had to rest and recover from that. But while he couldn't spar right away, he was doing stuff. Like, he was in the gym. He was working out. It wasn't like he had to take an extended period of time off after uh, that eye surgery. So they believe, and Spence believes, he's going to be sharp going into this fight. From talking to Spence, it doesn't sound like there's a confidence issue when it comes to, like, wanting to protect that eye a little bit more. No. Like, he just... He just seems like he's ready to go, and he's he's as, as close to full strength as he's going to be. And if he is, he's just better than Ugas. Not to say Ugas is bad, but I think Spence at the top of his game is better than Ugas at the top of his game. He's going to have physical tools in his favor. Ugas, more of a counterpuncher, at least he has been mm -hmm. in a lot of his fights. I, I just, I can, this is one of those fights where I can see Spence, whether it's because of the eye or not, not going for the knockout in it, but kind of cruising to like one of those eight, four, nine, three type of decisions. I think he's fully capable of with his skill set. So I, I like Spence in, in that way in this fight. Yeah, I, I could see it, but you know, because he hasn't knocked someone out in a very long time. It's been Chris, a while, so yeah. I, so, yeah. So he did say yesterday that 
he didn't predict that he was going to knock out your Dennis Ugas at the open workout yesterday, but he said he was going to press for the knockout, you know what I mean? Maybe more so than he had, than he did against Danny Garcia or maybe in some other fights, but just one thing as it relates to Ugas, Chris, you know, win, lose or draw on Saturday night. Um, this is, this is an amazing, yeah. it's really an incredible story because when I worked for the paper, you know, the record and the Herald news, the two papers that I worked for in New Jersey for a very long time, your Dennis Ugas used to train in Patterson, New Jersey, Hackensack, New Jersey. He was there for quite some time. He lived in North Bergen. And I know people who know, you know, I, I covered his fights and all that. And I know him a, you know, well enough, but these people really know him intimately when he came here from Miami and he, where he was, you know, there was a point in like 2012, 2013, he was sharing an apartment with three other fighters and he had a manager in Miami who kind of stopped sending him for whatever reason, stopped sending him money. And he was flat broke and he was sharing a, a, a tiny apartment with three other fighters. Uh, he was training at a gym in Patterson. He was living in North Bergen, um, really didn't have much prospects of anything going on. And he loses back to back fights on points and he doesn't fight for two years. And now he's in a major pay-per-view event. Now he's an underdog. He's plus 400 or so. And Errol Spence is minus 600. He's clearly an underdog. The fact that he beat Manny Pacquiao and he's now in this position coming from that tiny apartment in North Bergen, New Jersey, and all of the, uh, I mean, could you, could you even fathom some of the stuff that this man went through to get here from Cuba defect? I mean, Oh my God. Right. So the fact that he's here on Saturday night and he's fighting at Cowboy stadium, against Errol Spence in an enormous pay-per-view event. It, it's a, it's a miracle. You, you just wanted to bring up North Bergen, New Jersey. No, no. But I mean, Chris, all kidding is, hey, listen, yeah, I know, you, know, I know, you know, you know, I wear Jersey on my, uh, I wear it yes. as a badge of honor, but all joking aside, <laughs> I mean, to, to be where he was losing those back-to-back fights as a light, remember he was a lightweight then too. Yep. Right. I mean, yep. no one could have predicted this. I mean, this is crazy where he is now. And he's gotten better. He's tapped into his potential and he's gotten better. And Ismail Salas has really brought a lot out of him and everything. But it's it's an incredible story. No, it really is. Win or lose. um, He's accomplished something. Made some money against Pacquiao. Made even more money, I'm sure, to fight Errol Spence. Um, And win or lose, you'll probably see him back in another big fight at some point. Um, yeah. either this year or early next year. So, you know, good for him. And uh, I think it's going to be a competitive fight. I just think Spence's tools are uh, – he's got a little bit more in the bag than Ugas does. And if he's at his best, mm-hmm. uh, I think he's going to be able to control uh, this one. Before I let you go, Andy Ruiz to Triller? Did that uh, – wh- wh- what do we think of that? <laughs> he's fighting Tyrone well, Spong. I, I know like... that no one else wants to pay him what he thinks he's worth. So, you know, well, let, let Triller – listen – May, listen, maybe they'll pay him. Maybe they won't. That's the way it happens at Triller. I don't know exactly, but look, I, I, I get if you got Al Heyman, well, in any kind of moment, but if you got Al Heyman in a quiet moment, he'd be like, thank God I don't have to figure out how to pay him because you can't keep putting Andy Ruiz in pay-per-view fights that are going to fail. I mean, for no. the obvious, you know, so um, and and look, if you're Andy Ruiz, you did beat Anthony Joshua a few years ago, so you feel like you deserve to be paid X. The market might not necessarily dictate that. And if you're Triller, all, you know, we take our shots at Triller and they deserve a lot of it, whether they like it or not, for the most part. But if you're them, that's a get for them, right? If you get Andy Ruiz to fight on your platform, he's a former heavyweight champion of the world, I guess. I mean, you know, I don't know how well it's going to do on on their platform, but it's better than some of the fights that they've they've made. I'm just, I was fascinated that it's going to be on a pay-per-view, like, I'm not sure what kind of numbers should be expected for Andy Ruiz against Tyron Spong. Like I don't. Well, listen, listen, we, we just saw Charles Martin and Luis Ortiz on pay-per-view. So, 
So I don't know. I guess anything's possible. Right? You could I mean, sell that like, you know, two time title challenger versus former five minute heavyweight champion. And, and uh, it like, was, a, it was an entertaining, I'm not, the fight yeah. was good. You know, oh it, yeah. But it, even the build up you could the ring, sell it was entertaining. Like, I, I didn't, but, I, guy, I didn't know how Tyron Spong was before. I knew he was the guy that was supposed to fight Usyk and then he tested yeah, no, positive yeah. for like something. No. I did that. I don't know. I, I don't know. Like I, I, I assumed Ruiz and Luis Ortiz were headed for something, but that must've just been too pricey for anybody. And like, Andy Ruiz, Luis Ortiz on pay-per-view is not going to sell either. So I, I don't, right. I don't know what they're, I don't know what, they're, yeah, I don't, I, yeah, I don't know what you do with a guy with like Ruiz. Maybe you just let him go fight on other platforms, which appears to be what's happening in this case. So, yeah. And look, like you said, maybe PBC kind of breathes a sigh of relief. Like, you know, for, for one fight, Andy's yeah. off their books. And if he wins, get some visibility, maybe you can bring him back uh, for that Ortiz fight later on this year or something like that. Yeah, well, look, I mean, they've 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 put worse fights on pay per view this year, so I don't I don't know what you know I don't know what they're gonna look. And as a, in fairness to them, some of these fights that now they don't have both platforms right now, where right. you could put fights on Fox and you could put fights on Showtime. They don't have it. Like Fox is not televising, or they just don't seem to be interested in televising boxing right now. They're supposedly going to do a few shows here as we move along in the spring and 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 summer, but I don't know. I don't have any concrete proof of that. So. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, they might just have to take some fights to pay-per-view and, and take the public relation hits on the chin, so to speak. And that's part of the business. They, they, they know that. Oh, and there's your Andy Ruiz update for the day. Off the trailer. You're welcome. Ty- Tyron Spong. <laughs> Keith, uh, good stuff, man. Enjoy it down in Arlington. I'm sure you're going to get a good one on Saturday night. Thanks, yeah, as always, for joining me, man. Yeah, my pleasure, Chris. Have a good one, man. When we come back, my conversation with Errol Spence eBay Motors is here for the ride. Now, I'm supposed to talk here about what I remember and what I loved about my first car. And that's easy for me to do because I still have my first car. And as long as it keeps running, and so far so good, I intend to have that car probably until the day I die. Uh, That's how much I love that car. It is like a child to me. Now, it does require some upkeep, and that's why I'm grateful for a place like eBay Motors. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED lights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices... You're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Juan Gabriel. Juan Gis. Selena. Selena. Celia Cruz. Azúcar. Harold G. La Bichota. Christina Aguilera. Ex-Tina. Just to name a few. We're serving the whole story. From rags to riches. And all the tea in between. I'm Liliana Vasquez. And I'm Joseph Carrillo. And we're the host of Becoming an Icon Season 2. Guess who's back in the house? And we're bringing you even more stories behind the world's biggest stars in Latin music. Certified Latin royalty. Consider us your star sleuths, your chisme besties, digging beneath los mejores éxitos to bring you everything you didn't know about your favorite Latin icons. Hey, you know what, my boo? You're my favorite icon. Aw, Joseph. Listen to Becoming an Icon, part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
The Nikki Glazer Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glazer Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glazer Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glazer Podcast. To start listening. Fight fans, take your best shot with a risk-free bet of up to $1,000 from FanDuel Sportsbook. Even if your fighter gets knocked out or tapped out, new customers get up to $1,000 back if your first bet doesn't win. Just sign up with the promo code BOXING to bet on all the biggest boxing matches and UFC fights. Choose from the money line to the method of victory and so much more. FanDuel is America's number one sportsbook. The app is so easy to use, and when you win, you'll get paid quickly. And FanDuel Sportsbook has just launched in Ontario, Canada. To place your first bet risk-free, just sign up with the promo code BOXING. Okay, Errol Spence is here. Unified 147-pound champion on Saturday. He will attempt to add one more piece of the welterweight crown to his portfolio when he takes on Jordanus Ugas down at Cowboy Stadium in Arlington, Texas. That's a fight that you can watch exclusively in the U.S. on Showtime pay-per-view. And Errol joins me now on the show. So, Errol, when you're kind of going through another significant injury, is there any part of you that's like, man, why me? Like, why me? Why again? Why now? Just kind of all the all the bullshit that goes with it. Oh, nah, definitely not. Like, like I, you know, like I told everybody, you know, I think in you know perspective, if I have eye injury or accident or anything like that, and I'm saying why me, you know, I can also say, you know. Why me that, you know, winning all these world titles and, you know, and things like that and all these blessings coming towards me. So, you know, I feel like in life, you know, you get, you know, good good and bad things happen to you. You know, it's how you, it's how you handle them. And, you know, I feel like, you know, I handle them great, you know. I got a lot of, you know, great people behind me who, um, who just give me confirmation that, you know, I'm doing the right things and, you know, it's not about learning and, you know, getting better. How concerned were you when you heard the diagnosis that it could be career ending? Uh, I was a little concerned, but, man, <laughs> you know, I wasn't really too much worried about it because, you know, they said it was detached. So, you know, they said, you know, that injury is career ending, but, you know, mine wasn't fully just gone off the off the eye yet you know it was just detached it was slightly detached not all the way so you know they basically just put it back up the wall what did you think of the skeptics of your injury people like bernard hopkins who suggest it was more about money than it was an actual injury um you know i i don't know man i just (laughs) (laughs) Just, I don't know why he, he would even, you know, say that type of stuff, say that because, I mean, I never had any problems, never had any outside problems where, you know, I argued about, you know, a contract or, 
money or anything like that. You know, that's something, you know, if it was money or anything like that, you know, I would talk to my manager about not just drop out of fight, you know. So that's crazy. How is it about money? You know, I'm fighting probably the biggest guy, you know, besides Floyd Mayweather, you know. So, you know, it definitely wasn't about any money. <laughs> well, when you were diagnosed – with the eye injury, you knew going in like what that Pacquiao fight could do for you. You even talked about it after the fact, kind of a, a king-making type of performance against Pacquiao. Did you wonder at the time if you could fight through that injury and get and deal with it after? Nah, I didn't wonder. I knew I could fight, you know, and get through. But, uh, you know, the doctor wasn't going for it at all. So <laughs> but, you know, I knew that, you know, I could do it. Even though, you know, that would have been a dumb decision on my part, but in the heat of the moment, you know, I was I was ready for it. As you got back into training for this Ugas fight, how would you compare it to getting back into training uh, for your previous fight after the car accident? Uh, night and day, because, I mean, that was just eye injury. And, uh, you know, it's basically, you know, once it healed up and they put it, Basically, I got two like two straps, rope bands on my eye where, you know, it's basically indestructible unless I get shot in my eye or something. <laughs> it's indestructible, so you know nothing bad happened. But, um, you know, the car accident that was like damaging physically to my body and, you know, mentally too. So, you know, that was a lot harder to get back from. So it was like night and day. You know, at my it, Eye injury was like me taking, you know, probably like two months off and then, you know, back in the gym training and focus, you know, which I probably needed anyway, so. How do you feel, you know, compared to the camp you went through for Danny Garcia, like getting that camp out of the way, your first camp post-accident, how has this camp felt compared to that? Uh, Night and day, too, because, uh, you know, I think I'm, I'm losing – I'm losing weight the right way, you know, I got a, you know, dietitian, you know, so, you know, I feel like everything's on point. I'm not, you know, cooking my food or, or you know, not drinking water and stuff like that, not killing myself, you know, weeks and months before the fight, you know, just to make weight. So, you know, I feel like it's night and day from the Danny Garcia fight. Was it hard to watch Ugas beat Pacquiao in a fight that you so badly wanted? Nah, it wasn't, it wasn't hard. I mean, I watched it, you know, so, you know, it wasn't hard. You know, I feel like, you know, my whole thing is every, stuff happened for a reason. And or if it don't happen, you know, stuff happened. You know, it's, it's life. You know, it's how you deal with it. So, you know, I knew that, you know, after he beat Pacquiao, I was going to either fight the winner of it. And, you know, my whole thing is, you know, fighting for the belt and getting that belt, things like that. So, you know, of course, you know, he took, you know, the, I would have had way more, you know, notoriety and been, you know, way huge star, you know, fighting Pacquiao because Pacquiao was like, you know, icon in the sport. But, you know, it comes come with the territory, man. comes with the territory. You know, the it feels like deja vu and that the last time we spoke, it was a question about why not take a tune-up fight? Why not take 
a shake off the rust fight. If anyone in boxing has been entitled to those types of fights over the last few years, it's been you because of what you've gone through. But here you are again, whatever number of fight this is in a row of a pretty big fight. Um, last time it was against the high profile guy and Danny Garcia, this time in a title unification fight. Why are you, why have you been so determined coming off significant issues to immediately take big fights? Uh, cause I feel like I wasted enough time, you know, with the accents and injuries and things like that. So it's basically to get back, you know, jump back right back on the ball because I feel like, you know, that's like two, three months for training camp, you know, and then, you know, after the fight, then probably three, four months, three months doing nothing and two, three months for another training camp, then another fight. Like, that's going to take too much time. I'd rather do Jump right back on the ball and then, you know, fight. And um, I think I said something on Twitter like a while ago after my crash, and I was like, I don't take tune up fight. I make y'all favorite fighters my tune ups or something like that. So, you know, that's basically, that's basically you know, what, I, what I'm on. And I've been training too and focused. So I feel like, you know, I, I don't need to tune up because, you know, I'm just, you know, mentally ready and uh, physically ready. Yeah, you've got that attitude, which is, I think, fantastic for boxing in general. You see, you know, across the pond, George Cambosis has that attitude coming off a Teofimo Lopez win going right into a Devin Haney fight. Does it surprise you that, you know, more boxers don't have the attitude? That Why waste time with tune-up fights? Uh, that don't surprise me because, I mean, just that's what, you know, some fighters go, go through. I mean, just, you know, that's – that's what they're accustomed to. That's, that's the thing, you know, have a long layoff off an injury, anything like that, you know, you get a tune-up, you know. But for me, I feel like, you know, with my pedigree, I'm way, you know, I'm way – I got better sparring partners than tune-ups, you know. I, I use tune-ups for sparring and things like that, you know. So, nah, I, I see – I grade my performance and stuff like that off sparring and, you know, getting the best sparring. And, and sparring them, and then, you know, if I'm shark in that aspect, then, you know, I don't need a tune-up fight. Were there any, I'm just curious, were there any limitations on, like, sparring partners for this fight? Like, is coming off of the injury you had, was there any reason to be careful in those situations? Uh, nah, nah, nah. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm more careful you know, on the defense and, like, you know, making sure, you know, I pick off shots, you know, get here with careless shots, but other than that, it's, it's full-blown, full you know, sparring. If you win this fight, you'll have three belts at 147. It's great to hear you're making weight in, in a good way. You're a big guy, and you've talked before about moving up uh, to 154 at some point. If if it's not Terrence Croft after this, can you see this being your last fight at 147? Uh you know, I'm just going to keep an open mind, you know, and just, you know, and, you know, hope, you know, I get what I want, you know, and he get what he want. And, uh, you know, it happens, but, you know, I'm not getting my eye off Ugas, which is, you know, next week. So I'm going to focus on him. And then once, you know, I get him, then, you know, I worry about other people. But, you know, it's definitely 100% focused on, you know, the tasks in front of me, and that's Ugas. Do you have any insight into what Terrence Crawford's going to do next? Uh, nah, nah, I don't have any insight. You know, I don't. 
too much care. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it the the stuff of Crawford kicked off in a in a different way when you and I spoke in Texas during the DAZN broadcast, where you said something along the lines of Crawford wants to fight me. It's seventy thirty or sixty forty my way. Do you still feel that way at this point? Uh, nah, man. I was just. I mean, we were just shooting shit at shooting shit at each other, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was just antagonizing them. <laughs> but, but, you know, it seemed to work, Errol. Yeah, it definitely, it definitely worked. Because <laughs> he was like, "Man, fucking, I ain't fighting him. I ain't got no interest in fighting him." So, <laughs> but but do you see that as? I mean, is it is it fifty fifty in your mind? Is that a fair, you know, outcome? Uh, I don't know. I mean, that ain't you know that's that's for the people who that's for the guys you know in the suits who you know type who tally everything up and and see the numbers and you know and then you know and say all that what he deserved and what this person deserves. So I let them handle all that and uh, you know. And you know, hopefully, you know, we can we can make the fight happen. But you know, that's not for me to say at all. And you know, before I let you go, Ugas is a challenge. Um, you know, he's, he's skilled. He's coming off the win over Pacquiao. When you, I don't know how much tape as a fighter you watch of your opponents, or if you choose to, but when you look at him and you watch him fight, what makes him dangerous in the ring? Uh, I think everything. I mean, you know. Um, He's a tricky fighter. You know, he's a guy that, you know, that can fight, you know. I think, you know, he's a – he can't get nasty where, you know, he's throwing, you know, hard shots and, you know, trying to take you out. So, you know, and he's a – you know, he's a big guy too. So, you know, he's going to make for, you know, for a great fight. Yeah, it should be a great fight. Uh, Errol, good luck uh, against Dugas. And hopefully next time we talk before a fight, it's not, you know, five minutes on injuries before we talk boxing. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Appreciate it. Appreciate it, Errol. Take care, man. No problem. And when we come back, my picks brought to you by FanDuel. All right, time now for this week's picks brought to you by our friends over at FanDuel. And I am zeroing in this week on the big one, the welterweight unification fight between Errol Spence Jr. and your Danis Ugas. Now, I would love to tell you to bet on Ugas. He is a very talented fighter. He has got good odds, plus 410, according to FanDuel. And he's going up against a guy that's coming off a long layoff and another serious injury, this time the eye with Errol Spence. But Errol Spence has overcome a lot in his career. He overcame a nasty car crash to beat Danny Garcia back in 2020. And everything I'm hearing out of Spence's camp is that it has been excellent, that he's ready for this fight. And Errol Spence, at his best, is just better than Jordanis Ugas. So I am taking Errol Spence minus 650 to win. I think it's a safe bet because I think Spence is the better fighter. I'm taking Spence, though, to win by decision. A little bit better odds on this one. He's minus 140 to win by decision. Spence, he hasn't picked up a knockout in several years. He has become, to me, a little bit more of a careful fighter over the last few years as his level of competition has significantly improved. I think he outboxes Jordanis Ugas, and I think he wins by decision. Those are my picks, brought to you by FanDuel.
eBay Motors is here for the ride. Now, I'm supposed to talk here about what I remember and what I loved about my first car. And that's easy for me to do because I still have my first car. And as long as it keeps running, and so far so good, I intend to have that car probably until the day I die. Uh, That's how much I love that car. It is like a child to me. Now, it does require some upkeep, and that's why I'm grateful for a place like eBay Motors. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED lights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices... You're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Juan Gabriel. Juan Gis. Selena. Selena. Celia Cruz. Azúcar. Harold G. La Bichota. Christina Aguilera. Ex-Tina. Just to name a few. We're serving the whole story. From rags to riches. And all the tea in between. I'm Liliana Vasquez. And I'm Joseph Carrillo. And we're the host of Becoming an Icon Season 2. Guess who's back in the house? And we're bringing you even more stories behind the world's biggest stars in Latin music. Certified Latin royalty. Consider us your star sleuths, your chisme besties, digging beneath los mejores éxitos to bring you everything you didn't know about your favorite Latin icons. Hey, you know what, my boo? You're my favorite icon. Aw, Joseph. Listen to Becoming an Icon, part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to start listening. All right, time now for this week's picks brought to you by our friends over at FanDuel. And I am zeroing in this week on the big one, the welterweight unification fight between Errol Spence Jr. and Jordanis Ugas. Now, I would love to tell you to bet on Ugas. He is a very talented fighter. He has got good odds, plus 410, according to FanDuel. And he's going up against a guy... That's coming off a long layoff and another serious injury, this time the eye with Errol Spence. But Errol Spence has overcome a lot in his career. He overcame a nasty car crash to beat Danny Garcia back in 2020. And everything I'm hearing out of Spence's camp is that it has been excellent, that he's ready for this fight. And Errol Spence, at his best, is just better than Jordanis Ugas. So I am taking Errol Spence minus 650 to win. I think it's a safe bet because I think Spence is the better fighter. I'm taking Spence, though, to win by decision. A little bit better odds on this one. He's minus 140 to win by decision. Spence, he hasn't picked up a knockout in several years. He has become, to me, a little bit more of a careful fighter over the last few years as his level of competition has significantly improved. I think he outboxes Jordanis Ugas, and I think he wins by decision. Those are my picks. 
Brought to you by FanDuel. That's it for this week's episode. My thanks to Keith Idek and Errol Spence for joining the show. As always, subscribe, rate, review this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you download podcasts. And I'll see you next week. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at, at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see See what music does to people. It gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast.